A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Keeping your eyes on the prize, the data value chain. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Tina Albrecht, lead coach for data-driven transformation at Exida. Some key takeaways or thoughts from Tina's point of view. Number one, always start from your value chain. How do you actually generate value from data work? Any process or other tool you attempt to leverage that isn't focused on improving your data value chains will likely be ineffective in generating value. And why do data work if not to generate value? Number two, your two most likely reasons you are losing value in your value chain are lack of clear ownership or responsibility and bottlenecks. Look to regularly assess both. Number three, when measuring if things are good enough, generally the DORA, the things around DevOps, those DORA KPIs are good measures of data process maturity, but also look at two other aspects. A, how happy are people, you know, from customers, decision takers up to the team with the current process. Satisfaction is a great measuring stick because it is highly correlated to effectiveness. And then B, how much effectiveness is lost to bottlenecks and constraints. Number four, the two ways data mesh implementations seem to be going wrong are one, a misinterpretation of team topologies, or two, a lack of teams owning responsibilities. On the first, there are often breakdowns in how teams collaborate together. And on the second, we need the platform team to own enabling domains, but the domains keep trying to push work back to that central platform team. Those are two ways that 
data mesh is going to be pretty difficult to uh, do right. Number five, it's important to regularly assess if aspects of your data transformation are good enough for now. But it's also very important and easy to lose sight of how are your teams feeling during the transformation. If you significantly improve capabilities, but everyone is miserable, will they leverage those new capabilities? Scott note here, this is an interesting perspective and it factors into the rate of transformative change. Constant seismic shifts are probably not great for morale and you might be debuting all these great new capabilities, but if everybody leaves, (laughs) what's gonna happen? Number six, in data mesh, you should consider rotating your data engineers between domains So you can have a larger group of data-capable people that truly understand different domains' challenges. Scott note here, we still have to make sure we give embedded data engineers a career trajectory as well, though, or they will leave. Uh, Tina talked a little bit about this more in the episode. Number seven, many domains will truly not understand what data ownership really entails. Work with them and embed highly data-fluent people that can raise the domain's capabilities and understanding of data ownership. Number eight, I think this one's kind of controversial. Just having a, you know, simply a community or a guild for your data engineers and having them become part of the domain is not enough. There should be a central organizational home for data engineers and you should embed them into domains, but the central team should handle their career trajectory. I think this is a, Scott note, I think this is a big, big challenge and a big kind of concern for a lot of people of how do we actually keep data engineers happy and connected to each other. Number nine, team topologies is very helpful in data mesh, but if you don't understand your actual value chain, it won't work well. You need to start from how you generate value. Tina keeps coming back to that value chain aspect. Number 10, When considering if data mesh is right for an organization, if the organization doesn't have a clear vision of what would be better if they had better data capabilities, that's a major red flag. Do they understand how data can drive value for the organization specifically? How would data mesh align to their actual business strategy? Number 11, clarity, getting deep into how things actually interconnect is crucial to doing a large scale transformation like data mesh right. Too often, things are left up to vague interpretation and balls get dropped. Drive into the specifics. Number 12, potentially controversial, over-communicate. Set literal mandatory information exchange mechanisms, e.g. at the kind of person-to-person level in workshops. Have those between domains. Get explicit that domains need to be regularly exchanging information and not just the ones and zeros of data. Scott note, this is an emerging pattern from teams who have cleaned up problem data mesh implementations. It seems like it really works. It seems like saying, going in and saying, you literally have to book time to communicate with each other is something that you kind of have to force people to do because they never would have done, but it's an important mechanism to get things going right. Number 13, potentially controversial one, When trying to change your data processes, confusion is actually a positive sign. It indicates people are listening and trying to figure it out. If everyone thinks they understand all the changes without any confusion, 
they probably have wrong implicit assumptions. Scott, note here, human communication is silly sometimes, but this is an excellent point to really lean into. If nobody's actually addressing or, or expressing that they're confused, are they actually leaning in? Are they actually paying attention? Finally, number 14, while it can be hard to exactly measure the value of data, you should always be asking, what is the purpose of data, of the data or data work? What value does this provide? Why are we doing this work? Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. excited for today's episode here. I've got Tina Albrecht here, who is the lead coach for data-driven transformation at Exceda. And we're going to be talking about a lot of different things. Um, you know, Exceda has been working with a few different uh, clients and things around data mesh. And so we're going to talk about a lot of theoretical and some things that, that uh, Tina and team have been seeing, you know, in the market and in general. And then we're going to talk about kind of how you can kind of come in and if you're what you've been doing with data mesh hasn't been going quite as great and how to kind of turn the ship around and you know what just in general as well a lot of you know being the lead coach for data-driven transformation about how things can be applied incorrectly and kind of coming in and thinking about how do you actually turn the ship around, but or how do you keep the ship going in the right direction around team topologies, around data mesh, around, um, you know, not going tech first or anything like that, um, and defining the roles in, at the team and organization level, like what do we actually need to do data mesh and any data-driven transformation well? Um, so, but before we jump to that, Tina, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Of course. Hi, I'm uh, Tina. I'm, as, as Scott mentioned already, uh, a lead coach for, for transformation, especially data transformation. And here actually lies my heartbeat, uh, my biggest heartbeat of people. I love to, uh, to set up organizations uh, that make people love their work. And my second part of the heartbeat is tech and data. So uh, this is, to me, it's a perfect match to help people on the one hand, but also to dig into the, the organizations and help them to change and uh, keep them changing, getting better, getting more efficient, getting, getting, uh, reaching their purpose and getting what they want, actually, with a good mindset and a good psychological safety. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think it's a good place to start a little bit of these types of transformations often can go wrong. And that's okay. People make mistakes. Uh, one thing that I've been that's been coming up a lot in a lot of these conversations, because um, I've been doing some panels and stuff is how do you 
decide that we've made a uh, not even a, a mistake versus we need to change what we were trying. It's not working as well as we'd like. And like, so I'd love to hear about how you kind of assess, mm-hmm. how, are we making the right choice? Do we need to make a change here? One, one thing that I think comes up a lot in agile, um, just in general ways of working and things like that is, okay, this thing worked for us. It's no longer working for the, us or this thing isn't working for us. So I'd love to hear about, you know, kind of the data mess to the data mesh transformation. But in general, like, I think it's, it's helpful to start with the, how do you even assess what's working and what's not? And like, you know, is this good enough? Is this good enough for now? Is this, is this good? Is this good enough? Is this good enough for now? And I think those are the three layers that you have to kind of go through. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on how you start to look at that kind of question. Okay. Actually, we really start with, it. is it good enough? Is it good enough for now? And how has it been in the past? So we have a look at uh, how has the team developed? How is the tech environment? And which have been the major milestones in the past? What went good? What went well? And how did the team feel during that phase? That's something that's very important because there you see the interceptions between uh, how efficient you provide data and how how good the team the teaming as such is. So uh, this is actually the first first step. Then uh, from this point of view, we built. Uh, Hypothesis. So it's an hypothesis-based approach. Uh, uh, we say usually I come come to the team and say I, under, I understood it's this and that and that. Like for instance, uh, you have a lack of responsibility in your team. Nobody's taking care of the data, and you you dig the, the data responsibility to the platform team. And as long as you're not responsible for something, you're not gaining what you would like to have. Like this could be a hypothesis. So do you think this is true? Yes or no? And we can work on that. And then we take the more organizational and teaming hypothesis and map them to the outcome of attack analysis. And together with, with this, uh, I usually discuss this with the team and more layers. So it's not just one layer. The first layer, I I explain to the team what we think, what has happened in the past and where they are now. And the second layer is where they could develop. And the third layer is how can I get there? So, I mean, how do you measure that good enough for now? I mean, I know it's a very abstract concept, but is it is it just our people, like their frustration level? And it's like, okay, is this, and, and like, which which area do you start to look at first? Is it like, I mean, is there a kind of science to it or is it far more art where you just go, hey, we every single team is going to need something completely different. And it's more about yeah, you like I like that you said, how did they feel about it? Is it more about the feelings? Because the feelings are the thing that ends up driving more than the actual because, you know, if somebody's really happy with a somewhat inefficient process, but they're very unhappy with a, uh, you know, a, a pretty efficient process, they're going to want you to focus on that pretty efficient process, not the inefficient process. So like, how do you kind of balance all of that? Is it just everything is very much specific to the case or are there any kind of rubrics or, or rules that you generally look at? 
Well, actually, it's it's split it in two parts. One part is actually how happy are you in your process, because this happiness really relates to to effectiveness. Yeah, but uh, the other part is. Uh, we dig into the constraints in the processes and the bottlenecks and we measure the bottlenecks and we measure the uh, effectiveness lost on a bottleneck. And this is something you can measure pretty well with uh, with key results a team came up with in the be- beginning and didn't reach, for instance. Yes. And um, the productivity of a data product as such, if, if you have data products already, not every organization has, but if you have data products already, you can, you can, uh, you can really have a look at the output and at the data quality and you map, uh, like data quality, for instance, data quality measures, then process quality measures and output measures with the team happiness and map them with those with the constraints. And then you have a pretty good um um a pretty good measure of how how the team maturity is and how the company maturity or value chain maturity is you have to have uh, a look at this uh throughout uh, the the value chain as such um or if the company has a domain driven design throughout domains yeah I, I think a lot of what you're saying in there what I'm getting from that is it is more art, but there is a science to creating the art, right? Of <laughs> Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> be, because you have to go through and say, like, let's be cognizant of how we're uh, looking at this. Let's look at, okay, um, we're going to look at these from these eight different angles, but mm-hmm. it's not as if, okay, we've got a one to 10 thing from these eight different angles and, you know, we're just going to always focus on the highest number. It's like, eh, like you said, that the value chain is really what ends up driving it. What, what is the effect of this being, this one process is a massive bottleneck, except for it only like, it's almost like planning is a massive bottleneck, right? Planning is always a, a bottleneck, but it only comes up for a lot of companies once a quarter. So like you're, you're sitting there going, okay, this is a, a pain, but us like really, really improving the efficiency of this thing that comes up once a quarter that blocks people for a half a week or a week or whatever, it's not going to change the overall value momentum and, and chain there. So I like that. Um, I, I, but I would like to, to hear about um, like what you're seeing out there from, a, you know, a lot of people are implementing data mesh and a lot of people are getting value from it, but not as much value. And a lot of people are also mm-hmm. trying things that, you know, I've been saying, please don't do this. Uh, many others have been saying, please don't do this. But sometimes it's also just not right for the organization. And so even if you did everything right, it's still not going in the right direction. Or if you did, you know, everything in a, in a smart and um, uh, kind of well thought out manner, and it's still not going in the right direction. So I'd love to hear about kind of going in and evaluating, is this the right fit for people? Is this the like how how do you go from that kind of what you said that mess to mesh of mm-hmm. like, how do you how do you assess where somebody is and then start to help them move forward like where are you seeing people make their mistakes but also like how do you help them to correct those and get to better to correct those well first of all again you have to get back to the hypothesis and those hypotheses which the team agrees 
that could be true. You you take those ones and 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 you work on these. And very often, uh, there there are two topics. One topic is the team, the way the teams co-work together, the way the dots are connected on networking. This is something that you see very often. So it's the way the team topology is designed doesn't fit. So we dig into the team topologies and have a look at, again, here the value chain and the domains that are that are built around the data, data product landscape. And uh, we kind of reshape the organization in, in the right team fittings and the right supporting roles and uh, the the roles you need in, in your platform team as well. And here it comes to a point what I see really, really often within one data team, which should be really responsible for the data they have to deliver, either their creator or their, their consumer of the data, but nevertheless, uh, they have a responsibility what they want to do with the data. They don't take the responsibility. So if the core team doesn't take the responsibility, the whole system doesn't work. So this is, let's say, the smallest inner bubble you can change, getting uh, or making team responsible for their data, not the platform team, because very often what I at least see very often, maybe that's something German special, I don't have an idea, but very often the platform team which should deliver the service of uh, maintaining the platform and operating the data is very often are very often those that are also responsible for the data or be made responsible from the organization. And this doesn't work. Then the platform team gets overloaded. The work can't be done. There, there will be finger pointing. The platform team will say, well, I don't have your requirements. Dear product team, the product team will say, well, you don't deliver the data in the right time, right right way, right, right shape or whatsoever. Yeah, so the data, there's a mismatch in data quality. And they're not aware of that they are in lead for the data quality yeah. as a product team. So this is very often the core. Yes. To support the core, you need to have some further roles around it. And then you can orchestrate the whole thing. And the further roles around it are, like, for instance, uh, data engineers. You need to have data engineers in the, in the platform, but also within the product teams. So the product teams are aware of what they can do with the data, understand the data, analyze the data and everything. The other thing you need to have are data scientists, because if you don't have data scientists within the teams, um, the product will not develop. I, I think from my, my perspective, you don't necessarily need data scientists in every domain team, Correct. but with the when you're at scale you probably need it in every product area and that you treat your data as a product. And so like does finance, they're treating their data as a product. Do they need um, data scientists? Maybe not at the start, maybe it becomes something, but there's like, or like shipping area or something of like an e-commerce team at some point, probably because you want to start to optimize and things, but like there are lots of things where you're not creating as much of an actual product and that once you're scaling up, you don't need those. But at some point, you know, um, I'm, I'm reading through Jamak's book and 
I don't fully agree with this, this statement, but at the end of chapter five, she literally says, you know, I think that the way that we'll see it, the, the, the companies that win every single area will be ML augmented and that, or intelligently augmented. And that means by, you know, that can be small scale ML and things like that, but exactly what you're talking about. I, and, you know, her vision, I think, is that we don't need data engineers. We need engineers who are capable of, of working with and understanding data. Does that mean that they're like focused on the pipeline versus not? But, you know, it becomes semantics at that point. But to start right now, the tooling isn't there, even if the platform is amazing, which nobody can really build an amazing platform right now because the tooling isn't there to build it. <laughs> but even if you have the best of the best, it's still, we need these people that are capable of doing this and that we need to be smart about, you know, creating this platform exactly like you said, that the platform team doesn't own the data. They own that the processing of the data when the inputs are correct happens, mm-hmm. that the storage of the data and the serving of the data happens, but how it's actually served, how it's actually stored is on the teams that actually own the data. And so that that responsibility angle is so important. Are, are you finding that teams are unwilling to take on the responsibility or not understanding? Because this seems to be a debate that comes up a lot. Is it Are they unwilling to take it on or are they just not understanding at all what taking it on means? So they, once they're told of the responsibility, they're more willing or how are you seeing that kind of manifest? Well, actually it's a, it's a mixture, mixture very often. Um, very often they don't even know what what they have to be responsible of. Yeah, so it's it's in in the first step it might be a, a topic of understanding, and therefore, as I said, you need to have data engineers in the team, but also in the platform, and therefore we developed a kind of rotation system where we uh, say, well, data engineers should be in the team, but they should also switch teams. So. For the switching of data engineers throughout teams, you reach a uh, knowledge circle. And by this, the whole organization starts to understand the data they have. And once they understand the data, you can work at the topic responsibility. And here governance comes into place. Uh, There has to be governance rules about what data am I responsible of. And how do I handle data, especially in the interfaces between domains? Yeah, and if then then you you suddenly have a match. You have a match if the top, topology fits. Like for instance, one thing you've mentioned with the data scientists. Very often, the data scientists, if you take a look at team topologies, they are seen as uh, a complex subsystem. But data scientists are not a complex subsystem. They are supportive to the product. Yeah. They shouldn't be like in, in, in some kind of uh, towers developing unicorns far away from the organization. They should be as near as possible. And they should be able to dig in and dig out. Well, I, I've got, yeah, Ebru Kusen, when she was on, was talking about as like the, the tighter feedback loops and being a data scientist or and or data engineer kind of <laughs> partnering together in this thing of of with tight feedback loops of being able to literally put together 
the change to the model on a daily basis and go, is this what you're looking? Is this like, let's test this, let's run this through and and do that type of thing to really drive towards it. But I, I'd like to hear where you, so you were talking about that rotation system. And this is something that, that we hadn't planned to talk about specifically, but this comes up a lot of how do we keep especially the the data engineers, we can lump in the data scientists into this too, but especially the data engineers happy. And how do we keep them on a positive tra- you know, career trajectory? Because so many feel like once they get embedded into a domain that they don't have somebody that's managing them, that understands what they're actually trying to to do, what they like, how to manage them as a career, and they immediately become unhappy because they're not that well connected to other data engineers, and they're used to being kind of shoulder to shoulder, you know, side to side in the the data trenches, and now they're kind of off on their own, and it becomes a kind of isolating and lonely type of thing for a lot of people. I think Team Topologies helps with that, but I'd love to hear how you're kind of approaching that. So you know, organizations don't say we're doing data mesh and then all their data engineers leave because they like, I don't want to be in a domain. Uh, I, I've seen several types of how to, how to manage engineers very often, like from pure agile or scrum perspective, you would say they need to be part of the team and need to be responsible in the team with everything. But then uh, the team usually becomes a silo. And once you have zero teams, maybe everybody's happy in the team, but within the value chain or within the domain, you won't gain as much as you could. So um, what we did, especially in the, in, in the one case where uh, it was very crucial, uh, um, setting up the right the right uh, orchestration of data data engineers, because you know in Germany, I think it's the same in US, but in Germany. There's there's one capacity that isn't there, and that is data engineers. Yeah, you 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 find data scientists and everything, but really good engineers you don't find. So usually that's not a career thing. They 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 can choose. They could also choose their team, but every every team within the domain or cross domain need to have something out of the data engineers. So uh, actually, they are they have their homeland in. For, for two or three sprints or at least half a year within one domain and then they switch to the next domain which is pretty near to the domain they've they've been in or to the next team within the do- domains this this actually depends on how big the organization is if you are just circle within a domain or if you circle cross domain or anything but they have to get back to the platform as well this is the one thing the way the way of working in their day to day work, the way that they find it to their targets and everything. But then you also need a kind of homeland for the data engineers, and there we really came up with a solution that a community isn't strong enough. You have to have some kind of uh, organizational homeland, and here again, Team Topology helps because usually data engineers are supportive teams. So they are supportive teams that dig in and help. And within the supportive teams, you can define certain certain roles or certain specialities where data engineers can develop. So they have a home for their for their being and for their profession, and they have a home within the product. 
Yeah. Yeah. Juan, Juanus Rosiers had talked about it when he was doing this at DPG Media. He had uh, 80, 20, 20, 80 splits. So when somebody was on the platform, 80% of their time on the platform aspect is being a data engineer. 80% right. of their time was spent on the platform and 20% was spent like loaned into different domains, right? And so that might be for a single sprint or that might be, you know, one day a week or however you want to think about that 80-20 split. They weren't super, super uh, crazy about this is exactly this split. But then anybody that was in a domain was 80% focused on that domain and 20% still on platform work. And so that could be taking the domain's use case and really summing that up to create you know, additional capabilities to add to the platform, or it could just be general platform work or anything exactly. like that. But exactly what you're talking about of keeping these people connected. I, I am seeing this like, hey, just create a community and everybody will be okay. And just, you know, just create guilds. And it's, it, there are some organizations that do it well enough that, that it works, but most don't. And that, you know, we are seeing, you know, if you look on Reddit or anything, I don't recommend anybody go there. But uh, if you if you do look on Reddit, then you see that there are a lot of data engineers that are really frustrated about data mesh when they're implementing simply because they're not feeling that like, you know, I feel like I'm still part of a greater group. So I want to go to this centralized team, even though it doesn't work well, I want to move to an organization where I own all of the data simply because then I am in a group with people where I'm managing it together. And so it's, it's an interesting angle. And so I, I like what you're talking about of, you can't just put together like a little community or a little guild and expect it to be good enough. I, I think enough. that's so like you were talking about team topologies has some, some things I've, I'm not as deep into team topologies as I probably should be, but I'd love to hear kind of how you, you see them, that, that kind of approach addressing these challenges. Um, I like the, I like the team topology approach a lot, but it will only work if you're, if you have a proper view of your value chain at first, if you haven't, if, if you're not aware of your value chain and really where you want to create value with data, team topologies won't help. In the end, it's, it's, it's just a tool, you know, and, uh, the first thing is really, you have to be aware of your value, value chain and of the value you want to gain out of the data. And then team topology is a very, easy to use tool to set up a data mesh organization, but just then, not before, you know? Yeah. It's, what, what are you trying to do? Right. Like the, this seems to be this, this question of data that doesn't get asked enough of like, what are you actually trying to do? And you know, the, well, I'd like to just kind of know this thing. Well, if you're not going to, if you don't know how you would react, if the answer was, one or a hundred, we think the answer is is thirty right now, and you don't know how your behavior would change if we if the answer came back it was one or it was a hundred, then we're not going to do the work, right? And so that value chain of like, how do we drive actual value from this this work? How how does the, you know? I think the there's lean value trees, and then there's uh, value stream mapping, and all these different things. Where I think we need to get so much more focused on this in data, because it's like if we're saying that you know, I know we've moved away from data as the new oil, which I'm glad that we have moved away from that phrase in, in most instances. But that if we're saying that there's so much value in this data, how, right? Like, 
what is this going to change for us if we know this thing? Like it's the same thing with data mesh. If, if you don't know how being more scalable and flexible and nimble and, you know, agile and all that stuff with your data is going to help with your data, with your overall company strategy, your business strategy, if it's not going to drive value, why would you try to do this mm-hmm. if you don't know <laughs> that it's actually going to drive any value? So, um, you know, big, big, big topic there. I'd love to give kind of your, your some space to respond to that, but also like uh, there's a lot of different ways we could take this conversation. So I'd love to kind of hear your reflection on that, but also like where you want to kind of go next with the conversation around how do we actually focus on that value? How do we drive to the doing the right things? How how we do it? Well, actually, the first thing I do is is asking asking the organization, well, why why are you a data mesh organization if they are, and what are you gaining out of it? And with those little questions, you immediately have an idea if the com- if the company is aware of the value of data, and if it's related to the de- to the value chain, and then we step one one step deeper. We take the value chain and uh, put the most most important data topics on top of it, and then align it to the to the domain organization. And very often here you see immediately if there's a match or a mismatch and if if the dots are connected or not. And uh, this usually is a big aha effect also on the organization as they say, well, okay, of course, if I do this, I can I can gain value, maybe not for my domain, domain but for really the end-to-end product we are delivering. Now, like for instance, if you take take a financial service or a leasing service, and uh, within the leasing service, maybe uh, the planning of how much uh, cars I need I need to have in space to be le- leased out, just the planning, might be a really proper crucial thing. But in the end, if the car isn't with a customer and the customer can't drive the car, it doesn't help how much planning you make. Yeah. And this is why it's really crucial for the team not only to have a look at their scope, but also to the end or end-to-end scope. And this is something we are just, or I'm just trying to open up with my clients by doing a lot of, lot of workshops, talking, analyzing data, talking again, analyzing again, talking again. Yeah, and that. So I, I think what you're hinting at there as well is something that's been coming up a lot, which is there's so much implicit assumptions in data work. There's so much around, you know, uh, it's kind of the, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the the South Park thing of, about the underpants gnomes, but they have a business model of step one, steal underpants, step two, question mark, step three, profit. And that seems to be the way that, that, that we just approach data so much. <laughs> And so like getting super, taking the implicit and making it explicit and going, are we on the same page? Let's like, let's go through step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, like that you go through it and go, how does this create value? Where would we be, you know, with value stream mapping and stuff, where is, where might be 
we lose value along this data chain is so important to just ask, right? Like where we, we thought that this was going to be worth, you know, we're, we're putting in a million dollars of work and we thought it was going to be worth $10 million of value and it was worth $500,000 of value. Was it that our assumptions were wrong or like, where is it? Like, where are we losing this value along the chain? And so, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit about your, your, we were talking in the pre-call about like this stuff, a lot of the, the team topologies and data mesh and all this stuff can be applied pretty wrong. So like, how does somebody assess if they, they're doing it wrong? Is it like, cause I think what, what, data mesh also lets us do is make bets that we don't know if they're going to pay off. And historically in data, we're like, we kind of had to do sure bets because half the time it still didn't pay off because we didn't execute in the best way. But with data mesh, it's a lot. it gives us a lot more of an ability to make bets that don't pay off because they're bets, right? We're like, this has a, if this works, if this is what we think it is, it's going to have a high return, but it's okay if it doesn't, because we can find that much quicker and much easier. So I'd like to just kind of, uh, you know, I mean, it's a hard question to answer, but it's, it's, I think a broad topic about like, where are you seeing people go wrong with team topologies and data mesh? Like, where do you think that they're, that is the most common factor, right? Is it that trying to be overly specific and trying to to focus too much on the individual versus the broader organization? Or like, how are you seeing that kind of be misapplied most often? Mm. Well, this actually depends a bit on the topic. If, if, if the organization or if, if the teams are already aware of their, their role in the value chain and their contribution, yeah, then very often or the most most of the times I see two topics that come up. One is that there is a lack of responsibility, which I mentioned in the beginning. And the other is a lack of exchange with others. Especially if if you're connecting the dots and here I use, I don't know if you if you know the SE. SEIOP um, model. It's 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 a process model where you track the input that comes. Like for instance, a um, like for instance, somebody creating a certain part of of information. Then you have some process which is changing the information, and then you have an output. So you you look at data process wise. And then you can you can put a value number on the data. Yeah, this is one thing you can have a look at. This is like a data mesh ROI <laughs> on 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 certain levels up to the value chain. And the second is uh, you just look for bottlenecks and not connected dots. And if if you take those two things together plus the responsibility, usually. Uh, you have all the points you have to dig in to change. Yeah, well, and I think the the responsibility one comes up a lot, but I think that when you talked about the exchange with others, and one thing that I'm finding 
is again that ex- explicit implicit gap and um so a- andrew pease on his episode talked about hey you both have to go over 50 percent because you're both estimating that this is 50 percent, and you're both trying to go 50 percent, and it's really you're both going 40 percent. so there's a 20 percent gap in the middle and you don't you have to make sure that you go and that you overlap and so if both people go 60 percent at worst, even if you misestimate, you're both going 52% or something like that, right? That <laughs> you both that you both hit that because um, like one thing that I find, especially in data mesh, is that the consumers are expecting at least the insight and often the so what. Mm-hmm. And data producers are expecting to produce the information so that you could generate an insight. Right. And so it's like, what are you actually expecting me to deliver? Is that like that missed exchange of, hey, you know, I, I think that you're going to do you're just going to drop, you know, as a producer, I'm like, I just provide the data and you're the one that has to generate the insight versus the consumers are like, I want to be told at least the insight and often the so what? Like, what am I supposed to do with this data? What is this? And so getting super explicit around who owns what aspect. And, you know, in Data Mesh, there are people who go, oh, the, the producers can only own up through the uh, data generation and everybody else has to own the insight. It's like, okay, if that's if that's how you view it, you have to a very, very explicitly tell them that you have to be so overly explicit and hit them with the hammer because that that again goes back to the responsibility like who owns what like what how do we generate value here if we don't have anybody generating the insight nothing happens because we can't drive action from this if we don't know what action we should take so like are, are you finding that when you lay it out on paper that people start to see that these gaps exist or are you still seeing that there's lots of pushback and people don't immediately go, oh, that's where the gap is? Or or like, it, does it become this like magic self-evident moment of, oh, we see it? Or is it just like, okay, and now let's let's literally zoom in on the picture and I'm going to show you exactly where things are missing or you, you were shaking your head when I said, does this become the magic moment where people just go, Oh, okay, I get it. And and you're saying no. So I'd love to hear about that. <laughs> Actually, to, to be honest, I'm pretty bold. And this is my impression. It's not matching. It's not magic coming up because every time I saw organizations trying to build this magic, it didn't work. It's control and it's data governance. You have to have, if you really, really want to gain value out of out of data mesh or out of a data mesh organization, you have to have a proper governance. And the roles have to be very, very clear. Then the, the dots have, the, the connecting of the dots and the interfaces. I don't like the word, word interfaces, actually. I better like the word, especially in the case of data, I like the word connecting, not in, not, not interfacing. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but this has to be explicit and clear. And also the way knowledge is exchanged throughout, throughout the organization has to be very clear. And this has to be orchestrated. It, it doesn't come just by wonder or by magic or by anything. It really has to be orchestrated and it's, it's, it's hard work and it keeps hard work. It, you, you can't just set it up and then it's there. It has to be redeveloped all the time, actually. 
It's it's like your own health, right? Like it's not that you you do all of your working out for a year in in a week span and then you don't have to work out again, right? It's not that you eat healthy for a, a period of time and then you don't ever have to eat healthy again. It's um but exactly, I think that um how do you exchange information? I, I keep seeing people want this to be all automatic and I'm like no, like we need to get to an uh we need to be able to get to, I don't know if we want to use the term get to dangerous, but that's kind of how I think about it. We need to be able to have people get too dangerous around data and then have a, a, a one-on-one person exchange. And people are like, no, we want this to all be automatic. You know, yes, your your catalog has to make it so people can find the data and understand it and and do that. But like once you actually have a use case, those two sides need to talk. Right. Like you need to be like, we are exchanging value. We're no longer exchanging kind of poking and seeing if there's value here. We're actually saying, let's exchange actual value. I, as a consumer, owe you as a producer to tell you what I'm doing, why. Because you as a consumer might have additional value unlocking capability for me. You might be able to do something with the data or you might have additional data that I don't know about. And you didn't think, oh, uh, you know, I'm going to create this. This is where I find the reuse conversation in data mesh goes awry of like, oh, we just want silent consumers. And I'm like, no, no, you don't. You, You want somebody to be able to get access and find value and then iterate together towards value. But that's, that's the value creation is in figuring out what information we exchange that generates the most value. And, and this isn't requirements gathering. This isn't just give me all of this stuff. It's like, what actually drives value for your use case? Oh, am I providing that if I'm not in this existing, you know, data product? Okay, maybe I augment it or I create a new one or whatever. But like we just keep having this this thing of everybody wants everything to be automatic. Everybody wants the machines to to own everything instead of we can't automate one-on-one conversation can certainly feel like toil, but it can't be toil because that's where we actually figure out how to exchange the information and instead of just exchange the data, the ones and the zeros isn't the value of the information. So I'm I'm on my soapbox, but um when you're when you're running across these things, you know. Again, I, I was, had a panel earlier this week that got recorded with people leading data mesh implementations, and we were talking about this. Like, hey, it's lonely. Hey, this thing is never done. Hey, you know, all this stuff. But how how do you work with organizations to get them in the mode of this is never done. This is going to continue on. You have to keep doing this like does that resonate well do people get that or are they like no i just want to i want this to be a project i want to complete it and move on to the next thing um yeah well that's that's in, in the very beginning if i if i start a project there's there's one thing i always write on a whiteboard and this is over communication of of information and then they say huh we hear about data so they're thinking about <laughs> one and zero, and I say, well, no, actually, it's 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 information. Data is information, and communication is information. You have to get these two things together in the very beginning, but always throughout the process. And uh, throughout the process, you can set up uh, 
pretty simple formats, which are exchange formats uh, between the domains and within the domains. It should be scaling. It should be in the domain as well, but as between the domains. And uh, very often those formats are used together with planning formats. Actually, I don't like it. I I like it by far better to set up innovative formats and they could be set up with data scientists that are just leading those formats so they can if they are there some somewhere in, in, in their princess tower that they can step down. Hopefully they're not and they're in the organization, but then they they gather the crew together and this should be the data scientists. Um a certain bundle of um uh data engineers would really want to because not every data engineer wants to be part of the very innovative process. Yeah. Some of them just want 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 to keep of really doing their 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 uh, hard machine work. So um the data engineers and the and the product owners actually. It's it sounds like what you're saying, if I can sum it up, it's just like everybody's expectations relative to how data work works at scale mm-hmm. is is a little naive because they think it's about the data instead of it's about communication and it's about exchanging value and that you kind of have to shock them into a reevaluation of that's that's why we've been doing this stuff and not getting value from it is because we've been focused on exchanging ones and zeros instead of data is a is a unit of exchange of information to drive value and if we don't look at it that way we're 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 going to keep going down the same pathway so like are you finding that who who, do, who are you finding actually has the most pushback on that cuz i think business leaders once you kind of give them that a lot of times get it but the data people are like you're changing our world no i don't want to do this you know this i want to focus on the data instead of focus on the information are you finding that there's a lot of pushback or just a lot of misunderstanding in the beginning i would i wouldn't say pushback very often it's a lot of min- misunderstanding and here again over communication comes into place if you over communicate its role and its each passion that people have, then you st- they, they start to understand each other and they start to understand how they uh, jointly are able to gain more value than separately in their roles. And this is something, well, you have to get them out of the work to, to make this happen. So this is why those workshop formats, those uh, inspiring work- workshop formats are very, very crucial. And most people, I think, when they think about data work, they think about like doing the crunching of the numbers instead of the communication aspect. Like, you know, as as an external party, do you find it more difficult or do you think it would be uh, uh, more difficult being inside an organization to try and do these workshops, right? Like, because I'm trying to think of, you know, yes, I, I think in general, if somebody's doing data mesh, in general, you should be having at least some external help just because there's so many things that you could be missing out on. And there's so many, and, and somebody made uh joke assert. made a really good point. Um, I think in May of 2021, even talking about data mesh of um, 
he's like, I think you need external consultants simply to manage the politics of this stuff, right? Because you need to get these people into a room and and be like, the way you're, you're approaching data isn't working. Like, let's talk about how we can get it to working. But like, people don't want to hear that. And so like managing that external politics and managing that or managing the, the internal politics, you don't want to have somebody internally having to do that. But like, are you finding that people are receptive to this or just confused? You know what I mean? Like where it's there, there's, I'm finding it when I'm talking to some people that they're getting a lot more pushback than they think is warranted simply because once we're starting to talk about this, it starts to be like, hey, we've we've discovered some fundamental truths of the way we've done data and the way we've done data isn't great. So let's move towards these more fundamental truths of this is a way that we can approach it. Not saying data mesh is perfect for everybody or anything like that, but like the way we've been doing things is clearly broken. It's clearly not driving the value we expect from it or the value we we can get from it. So like if somebody is in this boat, can you help prepare them for what they're going to be going into in these workshops? Because people are, are going to be like, you're telling me how to do data. Okay, just teach me how to do the, the data crunching instead of what do you mean you're telling me how to do data? So much of this is is workshops and information exchange and talking. That's not data. That's That's you know, that's soft skills. Data is a hard skill. So like, I'm just trying to figure out how people can get prepared and how they can feel like this isn't going to uh, sink them when they try and do this internally. Hmm. Okay, I, I do examples during the workshop, but the first thing I do is I don't expect acceptance. And if if I get there and I have the intention that everybody's accepting what we did in a workshop, I'm absolutely confident that the project will go wrong. You have to have confusion. Otherwise, it will not work. Uh, this is the first thing, and this is all, always very hard for the organization because what I'm saying is you have to have confusion. Otherwise, everybody will still think, or the data people will still think one and zero, and the business people will still think dollars, and um, it, it, it will not come together, actually, or will will think value. So, And there's this one little practice I'll often start uh I'm, I'm often starting with and I'm just writing a number on the whiteboard, just a number, any number. And then I ask the people, what does this number mean? And they start saying revenue and everything. Very often the business people say it's revenue. The others say it's value. The others say it's people. It's the data people say, well, I need more information. And, 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 I, and I'm starting to give them more and more information. And I say, if, if you're thinking about data, first you see a number or, or something, and you have to get the things together to understand. And this is what is happening if you communicate. And then they start accepting. And I'm doing this little exercises again and again with them uh, um, during the, the phases of, of, of change, actually, until they've adopted it. But they have to go through the confusion, <laughs> otherwise it it will not work. Well, because otherwise they're they're mismatched, but they don't realize they're mismatched, right? Like if I say, "Hey, this person, you know, we're talking about age, and this person is 163," and they mm -hmm. go, well, "That's not possible. People can't live that long." It's like, well, I didn't tell you 163 what, 
right? Like it, it could be literally their, their age divided by 163 and that's the unit of measurement. So it's, you know, they're 163 days or they're, yeah. you know, they're, Weeks they're 40 or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or they're 40 and you just take the amount of time that they've had and you divide that by 163 and then they're 163 of that unit, whatever that unit is, it doesn't even have to be a unit that exists. It's yeah. just a new unit. And so, yeah, I think that I, I like that confusion is a powerful tool and that you want to lean into it because then at least people are saying, am I getting this? And I think the number of times at the end of especially a data conversation where you go, okay, let's talk about what everybody thinks that we said here. And then you get what people say and they go, oh, wow, we're still really mismatched. It's like, yep. Like the, and this is something that you'll always be mismatched, but it's okay because you can iterate towards better and better, but you have to keep that line of communication open. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a second, there's a second little exercise I often do after the workshop. I say, well, if you get back to the first number, what is it worth? Yeah. Because very often data people think about what they do is the most valuable thing for the company and they're not thinking about value. So I ask them about the value and then they start to uh, take this with them for their, for their work. What is this, what is it worth I'm doing? Not, not that, that I'm, I'm an engineer, but what is it worth I'm, I'm working at? And uh, then they can start to change, but really be honest, they, they are confused at first. And this confusion may take some some months, and that's not bad. It's something good, and they have to handle, or the organization has to handle that confusion. Can be something good because only out of confusion you you will reach more value. Actually, if you're always shaped and if you always really exactly know what you want to do, actually to be pretty bold, then you don't need data data product products because. Uh, the data should keep you or, or help you to get some some kind of vision and get get uh, get your your creativity out of the confusion. Yeah, it, it should inform you. It should be, and it should be. It's not always the sets the strategic direction. It's yeah. measuring along the way. Are yeah, we doing the absolutely. right thing strategically? And yeah, I, yeah. I I give the value example of. And I, I don't think the data team can ever measure the value of the work. I think they have to partner with the other people to say, how much value does this generate? But, you know, like when you think about, okay, this data product, um, Pink Shoe at, at Vista really helped me kind of frame my thinking on this uh, in her episode. And so, like, how much is a 5% increase in revenue worth? And, you know, the data people might say, well, take your revenue and times it by, you know, one point or, you know, 0.05. And then that's the the worth, right? It's like, well, no, like revenue can actually have negative value, right? If it's that very bad margin, if it's not, not a strategic business, if it's like, like, you know, and then you start to say, okay, so I just need to know the gross margin. And it's like, no, you need to know the strategy of what you're trying to get, right? It may be that this thing is at low margin, but that you're trying to take market share because you think once you've got the market share, you can slowly 
raise the things to get better margin on it. Or, you know, there's all of these different aspects and you have to ask the business person as to what what is this of value to you? Because, you know, it's when people talk about the return on investment of data work, I kind of want to laugh at them in a way because I'm, I'm a finance person, right? Like by, by training, by heart, like, I mean, I, I was that person that was like watching the stock market when I was in like high school and stuff like that. I, I, I majored in finance, you know, uh, was a stock market analyst for a while. I, I am a finance person by heart, but like, I, I really, really understand how data plays into creating value, but it's, you have to say what would doing this actually be worth? And somebody has to put a value on that. And the data people can't, but they have to be asking, why are we doing this? Like, what's the point of this? What, if this goes well, what happens? Or, you know, or we find this thing, you look at maybe entering a new market and you go and you say, okay, are we just going to enter the new market? Are we going to, you know, really assess whether it's good? And you find out you do a bunch of data work and it says, don't enter this market. How much is that worth? You didn't actually go after this, so you didn't get anything from it. Well, but you also prevented yourself from wasting a bunch of time and effort and you know capital and all this stuff that you would have tied up going after this thing. That wasn't going to be good. It wasn't going to be lucrative. And so, you know, that's where those conversations, the data people have to be leaning into those as to like, what actually is value? Like, how does this create value? And that's, so yeah, it's, it's a, I want, I want to give you space to react to that, but I also kind of want to talk a little bit, uh, circle back on the, um, roles and teams and, and organizational level of responsibilities of like, how do you pick, get people to pick up responsibility? So we could talk about picking up the responsibility of who measures value and like, how do you actually communicate that? But I, I, I want to circle back on that as well as we're kind of heading into wrapping up the episode. Yeah, very often uh, if we do in, in the first stages, if we do the um, value analysis along the value chain and we take each step of the value chain and ask for the trigger of the value chain, which is the trigger and which is the true data you, you need to measure value, um, we write, write down those triggers. And if it might, very often it's something like revenue. And then I often say, if you take revenue as a naked number, what does it help? You need to have the context. And what is the context uh, in that with the value chain? And does the context really map or help to reach my my strategy or purpose or purposes very often. And in Germany, purpose is, is used as something too weak. We have a um, German word, word, which is a really hard word, you know, or wording, is, it's called Zweck. And there's no real English word for it because it's much more um, intrinsic, um, haptic driven than purposes, you know. But uh, I ask them usually, I say in German, what's the zweck of this data? So what's the purpose of this data and how does it contribute? And um, I ask those, I ask this to, to product owners, which are usually from the business, but also to the data people. And they both need to align on it. Yeah, it's, uh, it becomes such a, a weird conversation when you start to get into philosophical things about data, but it's also crucial because people are like, 
what are we actually trying to accomplish? And it's like, well, I know what we're trying to accomplish. Do you? Like, do you actually like, let's, let's get down on paper what that means. And you find that misalignment. And I think that's, again, when we were talking about responsibilities and roles and and all of that, Mm -hmm. like, how are you finding changing people's responsibilities and roles and like how people react to this and, and that they are, are they taking ownership of their part of the value driving chain? Right. Are you finding that people are kind of reacting to that negatively? Or are you finding people are are good with that? Or like how do you how do you actually have that reaction? Because it's it to me, when I tell people they have new responsibilities, they're like, no. Right. It's like it's just it's just kind of a, a blank uh reaction of of no, I don't want to take that on. So are you like working with them to see the value and prove out where the value drives? Are you working with them to say, okay, you're taking on this responsibility, but we're taking down the other work. We're, we're putting this as a priority. So we're reprioritizing other things. So they, they fall by the wayside. So it's not just additional responsibilities or like, how, how are you having those conversations? You know, whether that's on the data people or the non-data people mm-hmm. around data ownership. Yeah. There's, I don't have one answer to that, actually, because uh, usually the people act pretty differently, to be honest. Just not though, there are those that are reluctant, of course, but not everyone is reluctant. Some of them just jump in and they jump in and don't even know what they need to do, but they're absolutely committed, you know, and then you have to have to uh, do this differently. So um, after we after I set up a role model and uh, discuss the role model through with the teams and they're picking the best is they're picking their roles. And then we're starting to write down the responsibilities and really, really dig deeper in this to, to get the responsibility clear and to, to shape like, like the, uh, the governance. And usually um, people get, involved with their role and involved with their responsibilities and they can they're they're part of the process i'm not telling them you're responsible for this and that no i let them participate that's that's the easiest and the best because otherwise you have those that are jumping in they don't know what to do and those that stay reluctant and um so this is this is uh I think a much better better approach to let them participate in designing their roles and um, then they're starting to take over the responsibility on their own. How important do you think it is to to nail responsibility at the start, right? To really get it perfect versus like, hey, we're figuring this out. We're going to check in on what's going here because I feel like this is something that I really struggle with a lot of data people of it's, it's right or it's wrong. It's like, that's not the, that's the myopic version of the universe. And it's like, it's not, it's how right is this? It's how, how well-tailored, how correct or how appropriate is this is how we have to think about things because if we don't, then we're going to end up in, in just a space of, of trying to, apply, you know, this thinking that doesn't end up working and doesn't drive value for us? Well, you need to have two things on that. You need to have measures. So it has to be measured and the measures have to be developed. 
by by those people that are responsible together with uh, the management, which is responsible of the vision or whatsoever. Yeah. And that's the one thing. And the other other thing is, again, you need to have the governance and the governance has to be managed as well. Um, but this has been really, really, really fun. Um, is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like, you would have liked to, or any way you'd want to kind of wrap up the episode, any button you want to put up, any point you want to make about kind of what we've talked about here? Well, I think to put it from 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 the from low step to the highest, uh, it's 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 really it's really good to have good technology and to be top notch with your with your attacks and everything. It doesn't help help if your team topologies doesn't fit. And on top of that, the team topologies they can be best in place and by book and everything. It's still theory if it, they don't map to your value chain. Yeah, we didn't even talk about tech the whole time because I just it's it's just not. <laughs> yeah, that. that's my <laughs> that's my well my my really this is what my really intrinsic belief. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I fully agree because it's just if like you said if nothing else lines up it's you can have you can have the greatest you know transit vehicle of all time and if it's a train and you don't have train tracks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can be a very, very valuable train. It can be the best train in the world. But if you don't have an ability to, or even the gauges, the gauges don't work there to, you know, it can't run on those tracks. So, um, well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you after this. Uh, what's the best place to do that? Is there anything specific you'd like people following up about? Well, you can uh, you can t- contact me on LinkedIn. That's no problem. I yeah, or by email. Anything. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm happy to exchange. Really, I'm also happy about learning of other other organizations and things that go well and also go go wrong and and yeah, just exchanging because it's yeah, it's my heartbeat actually. Uh, data tech and people. <laughs> It's, I, I find a lot of guests are like, I just got to talk about data and I don't get to do that for like an hour straight. And it's just really fun to just, yeah. No, and the number of people in the data mesh community that want to talk to others and then are like, oh, other people want to talk to me too. It's like, yes, get in touch with each other, <laughs> like get, find each other, talk to each other. So, well, uh, Tina, this has been such a, a fun episode. So thank you so much for spending the time here with me. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Yeah, thank you very much. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Tina Albrecht, who's the lead coach for data-driven transformation at Exida. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, 
you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.